Chapter 34 of The Ocean of Air Meteorology for Beginners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ocean of Air Meteorology for Beginners by Agnes G. Byrne. Chapter 34 Living Dust of the Air. Among the dust specks which fill the air are other minute things, not strictly dust, smaller far than the motes which we can see, invisible except under a microscope, and altogether different from mere dust, because they have in them the gift of life. These make their home in the atmosphere, floating everywhere, mingling with the air particles in countless multitudes. It has been stated that with every single breath, a man breathes, he may draw, scores or even hundreds of them into his lungs, yet they are so minute that they do not put him to inconvenience. Many of these living germs of the air, infinitesimal rod-shaped forms of vegetable life, are less than the hundred thousandth of an inch in length. They are, however, exceedingly active and frightfully prolific. One of the bacteria has been said to increase in the course of twenty-four hours to over sixteen millions. Some kinds grow by rapid dividing and subdividing, each rod-like thing becoming two, which two divide each into other two, and so on. Others increase by means of spores. As spores they can endure wide variations of cold and heat. They may even become perfectly dry like dust, seemingly dead yet afterward they will revive. This constitutes a danger to mankind, for air abounds in such germs and spores, and water is perhaps fuller still. They are germs of putrefaction often, germs of disease sometimes. If any vegetable or animal food is left within touch of air or water, wandering germs will speedily seize upon it, feed upon it, turn it bad, as we say. Food, to be saved for any length of time from these destroying multitudes, must be shut off from the touch of water or air, hermetically sealed in a dry vacuum. But men cannot be so guarded from wandering germs of disease. It is extraordinary how long such germs, or at least the spores of them, will keep their vitality. In the olden days of plague visitation, Clothes from a plague-stricken district were sometimes buried for months, even for years, and when disentombed, infection broke out anew. Scarlet fever germs, diphtheria germs, may be conveyed from one person to another, through dress or books or contact, or they may simply float to and fro in the air, waiting to find a victim. Some allusion has been made earlier to the dangers of great masses of decaying vegetation, the miasma or malaria of marshy lands is only too well known to travellers. Much mystery still hangs about the matter. That a close connection does exist between marshlands and certain diseases in warm climates is undeniable, while the exact nature of the connection is not so clearly understood. Decaying vegetation gives off certain gases, including carbonic acid gas, but though the latter may suffocate a man, it does not bring on intermittent fever, nor do any of its companion gases, released at the same time. 
the mere smarta poured forth by decomposing vegetable matter are minute living disease germs which carried by the air fasten on human beings and lay them low a certain amount of heat and of moisture are generally counted needful for the development of the poison yet sometimes it is poured forth from underground dampness through cracks in a dry and hardened earth if no cracks exist the miasmata are imprisoned by the hard crust again if the dampness is so excessive as to cause a sheet of water over the surface of the ground the water acts as a guard preventing the escape of the germs these germs of disease when free we are told may be carried on the pollen of marsh flowers or on cryptogamic dust along the valleys or up the mountain sides just as ordinary dust drifts into places here and there leaving other parts free so does the disease-laden dust settle in favorable spots and again in the vapors of the night in the dews of the morning the germs of the disease maintain their vitality and in the sultry breeze may be disseminated far and wide they are seldom known to ascend above fifteen hundred or two thousand feet and their spread is checked in a remarkable manner by trees or indeed by any substantial obstacle commonly they do not invade large cities but to this rule there are exceptions the campagna di roma is famous for its terrible malaria evil vapors arise from the ground especially near the lake of solfater and in the heights of summer malignant fevers are so rife as to make the whole campagna a dangerous place of residence many of the country people then flee to rome though that city does not escape occasional visitations of malaria fever probably the destruction of surrounding woods has made matters far worse than some centuries ago travellers in malarious districts should never leave their houses till the morning fogs have melted away or stay out of doors when the evening mists begin to form many an englishman impatient of restraint and unbelieving as to the need for care has fallen a victim to the neglect of this simple rule thus we see that the air which brings us so many good things brings us sometimes bad things also there can never in this world be a power for good which is not also a possible power for evil that which tells one way beneficially will always tell the other way hurtfully when a gentle old lady recommending her pet medicine to all her friends says it may do you good and it can't do you harm we know that she is declaring an impossibility that which cannot do harm if such a thing exists is of necessity no less incapable of doing good air carries injurious dust noxious gases germs of putrefaction and disease this is true yet mainly on the whole those things which the air bears upon its broad wings are for the benefit of living creatures if we wilfully place ourselves in the path of evil things they will be brought to us but if we take reasonable precautions if we give the air liberty to act they will as a rule be borne away there is no purifying power like that of the free wild breezes shut up on stagnant air is another matter a common dust moat remains for years even for centuries the same it may stick to some other body or become detached from it 
but in itself it does not change it cannot grow it never gives birth to another dust mote it has not the mysterious gift of life and the living never springs from the not living we have around us a world of life also a world of lifelessness the two are utterly divided absolutely apart that which has not life cannot give birth to that which has life for a long while this was doubted time after time vegetable substance was hermetically sealed in a vessel which was then so heated as to kill it was supposed every kind of living thing within yet weeks later when the vessel was opened living germs were there so it was concluded they must have somehow sprung to life from unliving matter but now we know that these tiny air and water germs will live through enormously greater heat than was once believed possible the germs found alive when the vessel was opened were simply the descendants of earlier germs not killed by the heat closed vessels containing a vegetable solution have since been subjected to greatly increased heat and when after a while they were opened no living things were within all the germs had been killed and so no fresh forms had sprung into existence there is a wonderful demarcation between vegetables and animals yet the two worlds of vegetable life and animal life have each a gentle slope leading down to the margin of the other on the margin creatures are found which may equally well belong to either side no such gradual slope no such doubtful belt appears to divide the world of life from the world of lifelessness a sheer gulf separates the two that which has life gives birth to that which has life but the living never springs from the not living however low and small however wanting in organs and powers certain live things such as the germs of the air may be they are cut off by an impossible chasm from the world of inanimate matter the world of rock stone and metal of water and of air true the not living materials pass into and out of the bodies of the living true air and water carbon and oxygen have a share in the building up of living structures true men and beasts are literally made of dust and water so far as the physical frame is concerned dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return was no mere figure of speech as uttered unto man but life is not in the dust not in water not in air man is largely made of carbon and a diamond is formed of the same yet in the one we have the presence of life the command of a controlling will the ever-present joy or pain of consciousness in the other we find no life no will no consciousness none can bridge the gulf between the two none can breathe the breath of life into lifeless matter save he who is the life End of chapter 34